today's Old Testament reading is from Psalm 24, verses 1 to 6. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading is 1 John 3, verses 4 to 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to each one of you who have made the effort to be with us today. We certainly want to welcome you, and uh, we are rejoicing in the new opportunities we have to get together. And as I said, as we began, today is a day to really be thankful for that. If you notice somebody you haven't seen for a while or, or is new to you, please make the effort to welcome them and say we've missed you. And uh, as well as to those of you who are joining with us on Zoom, 
we'd just like to say we are really excited that you've made the effort to also join us in that manner. Now, today you'll also notice that we have um, helping us in the service, and they are conspicuous by the fact they're wearing little tags that says, I am in a group, a home group, or a small group, a place where people gather together to discuss the Bible, to pray together, to share, and to learn how to support one another as family of God. And uh, they're going to be sharing a bit more later. And also, I would encourage you, if you are not in a group, uh, see one of those who uh, notice one of the persons who has one of those tags, walk up to them and ask them to introduce you to what that's all about. I think you'll be very pleased you would take that effort. Now today we are going on in these verses uh, from chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John is a most um, interesting and challenging book because it's very condensed. John has written in five short chapters some of the amazing truths uh, throughout all of the New Testament. He is, in one sense, condensing down some of the theology and truths from his whole Gospel of John and all of its chapters and the teaching of Jesus. And what we will see is again and again, he is uh, sharing those with us, and he does it in a manner which is very typical of John. He doesn't write, as we've mentioned many times, like Paul, who says one and one equals two. All men have sinned, therefore all men stand in judgment. God has sent one Redeemer, Jesus Christ, therefore every person who believes in him has eternal life. If not, those are lost or we are found. One plus one equals two. 2 plus 2 equals 4. But John writes in another manner. It is an almost a circular thought pattern where he takes us to a truth and then he goes again to a, that truth at, from a different perspective. But it's not just ditto, repeato, the same thing. He's taking it deeper like a drill that is going deeper and deeper and deeper to illustrate to us these truths that we can deal with them and understand them. And last week we talked about what it means to be born in Him or to be children of God. Remember as he began and said, what love the Father has given to us or put upon us that we would be called the children of God. That God Himself has made us His children. Remember last week we said it's not simply that a person is born into this world. That would be we are a creature of God. We are created in His image. And God in His grace and His mercy as He created mankind in the beginning placed within us an eternal soul that lives forever. But then John is talking here about children of God. That is not just a creation of God that we are being formed together in our mother's womb and God has a will for us. God has a plan for us. But then he talks about a new creation 
where God has done a work in our heart and our soul to bring forgiveness and cleansing, to remove the guilt of sin. And then part of that is God Himself, in the presence of His Holy Spirit, lives within us. And John is going to repetitively come back again and again to that truth. And he is going to say there is a great distinction then between those who are children of God and those who are not. And today's lesson is going to talk about the concept of sin. Last week he said we need to understand what it means to be a child of God. To be as Jesus says in John chapter 3 as he talks with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says to him, how is this possible? And he says, well, we must be born again. Not just of the water, not just humanly, but we must be born again spiritually, that eternal work of God inside us. Because eternal life is not just an unending period of time. It is, but it's much more. It is the actual sharing of the eternal life of God. God in us. And today John is going to say, when you have God in you, when we abide in him, as Jesus says in John chapter 15, he who abides in me and I abide in him. You see, he uses the illustration of the vine and the branches. Remember last week we talked about the Weinstock and the Reben? And he says, if you abide in me, then the very life of God is in us. And John is going to say that makes a significant and change and difference. Now, today he's going to talk about not only that we can know that we are children of God, and that's a great difference, know the love of God that's in us, and we know that God is our Father and we walk in the light. But today he's going to talk about the idea of sin and Christians. Now I don't know how it goes in your life, but I find that this is one of the things which probably has discredited the church over the years. Is that a person says, I believe this, but they live like this. And each one of us, I remember one of my dear Austrian friends as we lived there, and I remember he would sometimes tell stories, and they got a little bit bigger all the time. And then if he got to the point where he really wanted me to know that they're accurate stories, he would look me in the eye and say, Dennis, when das nicht die Wahrheit is, ich lege mich auf, ich lege mich auf den Schienen. And I had to think, you're going to lay yourself down on the rails. What does that mean? Well, what he was saying is, I guarantee to you that what I'm saying is true. If not, I will lay myself on the railroad tracks and let the train run over me. It made sense to him, but he wanted to make certain that I understood what he said was true. And John, in this teaching... It's a very difficult teaching, you see. Because he's going to talk about the reality of Christians. 
and how we know that God is at work in our lives and how we understand the depth of the work of God in calling us to be his children and making us a new creation in Christ and the depth to which that goes not only in our minds and our hearts and our souls but the absolute change which that reveals at the end of these verses in verse 10 he's going to say and therefore it is very evident who is a child of God and who is not and so he's taking us in that direction but to talk about sin is not easy nor simple but let's just see what he says. He says very simply this, is a beginning in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. In this, actually, I've chosen today, rather normally we as a church read from the New International English Translation, which is a very good and wonderful translation. I today have chosen the English Standard Version because the, the essence of the meaning in the original is very important. And I think they've captured it a bit more closely here. Because the very first word we want to look, about, look at is this word of the practice of sinning. In some of your translation, it'll just say, whoever sins. And then if you go back to the original, you'll say, well, that is kind of a very strong word, which means a continuation or an ongoing practice. One of the most helpful ideas I found in the dictionaries or commentaries was it's like someone who's building a path. Lois and I are staying in a lovely apartment provided by one of your church members who's away at this time, and it's up in, in uh, Viticon. And if you walk in the paths around Viticon there, you will notice in one place there are houses below and there are houses above, and you walk on this path and you will notice that from the houses below to the houses above, there are uh, footprints and every week we go by, the grass is browner and there is more dirt because the footprints have come again and again. And it's very much like this concept John is saying to us. If there is a noticeable, continuing, progressing where we go back to that same concept of sin again and again, John is now addressing this. You see, in chapter 1, it's not just simply that Christians may sin. In chapter 1, verse 8, he came out so boldly and said, anyone who tells me he has never sinned, you're a liar. Wow, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? But then he goes on, and he goes on to verse 9, he says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he's not talking about that one incident, that one mistake, that one time that we're falling into sin, but he's talking about an ever pattern, a, a habit, a thing that occurs again and again. Or as he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says there very simply, brothers, I'm writing this to you, I would not that you sin, I don't want you to sin, but if you do sin, remember we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation for our sins and the sins of the whole world. 
So he's made that very clear. But then he goes on and says now, but I want to say to you that the person, whoever, makes a practice of sinning. I just need to pray for a moment. Father, this is a, a very serious moment. Because, Lord, you put this into your word by your inspiration for all of us. And we realize the idea of dealing with sin is not simple. John's going to tell us, Lord, that you have come to deal with it. And then he's going to repeat and say, you've come to destroy it. But, oh God, we are we. And we need your help at this point. Help us to hear not just the words, but hear your spirit as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your patience with me. John is saying here, it's this pattern of sinning. If we look back in our life for six months or 12 months or 18 months or two years or 10 years and the same thing repetitively is happening again, this is what John is writing about. And he's saying some very strong things because he says the one who practices sin, the one who does sin in that manner, he says that is the same as lawlessness. Now, lawlessness doesn't mean simply that we've set aside a set of rules and things. Rather, what lawlessness means is that it is a rebellion against God. It is a setting aside. You see, the law of God also reveals to us the very person of God. He hasn't given them to us simply because he's giving us rules and regulations. No, it is to reveal himself and to show us how to live uh, his will for our lives. And so he goes on and says, there it is the one who is having this practice of sinning, it is lawlessness. It takes us back two weeks ago, I believe we read from the account in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan comes and tempts Adam and Eve. And you remember the account first he said, did God really say and she said, yes, God really did say, you shall not eat of any of the trees of the center of the garden, and the day you do, you die. You see, not only did she know that God had spoken, she knew exactly what God had said and the consequences. And yet it says, it went on, but then she looked, and the fruit was good to the, for nourishment, the lust of the flesh. It was good to the eyes, and it was to make one wise. And then she took and she ate. She knew what she was doing. And she turned and gave it to Adam. And he knew what he was doing. And this is more what is being referred to as John goes on and talks about that. And he says, if we have these practice of sinning, it is the same as lawlessness. It is actually turning our back on God and walking away. Now, what does he go on and says? And then he says in verse as you look at it, in verse 5, he says, we know, and the very first thing is that he appeared to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. The very first thing that John is going to say, there are several things that we know. He's repeating, he says, we already know this. But the first thing is that he came to deal with our sin. And amazing, God 
in the person of Jesus Christ came. And we celebrate Christmas saying, oh, he's come to show us what God is like. Yes, he has. To show us that God is grace and God is love and God comes to us in a manner in which we can understand. And he manifests, he reveals God to us. But John says there is more to that. He not only came to show us God, he came to deal with our sin and to take it away. And the second part of that phrase answers it. How does he take it away? He was the perfect sacrifice. On the cross, he took our place, like it says in Colossians, and God the Father nailed all of our transgressions, everything that stands between us and God. At the moment Jesus was dying, God the Father, it says, nailed it to the cross, literally to his body. And he says he's perfect. That sacrifice, that one that took our guilt and stood in our place. Then he goes on and says, not only do we know that, but he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either known him or seen him or known him. So really what he's saying very simply, if we abide, remember where we are in Christ and Christ is in us and the very life of God is functioning within us. He said that person is not going to keep on sinning. Why? Eventually he's going to say because the very seed of God is in us. And what we must expect as the children of God is that God is going to work and God is going to continue to do his work. Yes. And so he goes on and says, but then he uses the comparison. He said this to them, that little children, look in verses 7, 8, and 9. He makes a great contrast. He says, little children, first, let no one deceive you. And here are the places where we need to be very clear and allow nothing to cause that to Fade away. In our years of traveling as missionaries, one day I sat down with a pastor in the country of Moldova. It was still when it was a part of the Soviet Union. And he had been in and out of prison, I think four times at that point in his life, for not doing anything wrong but for preaching. And I remember he sat down, and as we had a cup of tea at his kitchen table, he said to me, well, the praise God, the church is growing. So I said, well, brother, how does your church grow? And I remember him telling us, because we fast and pray is something we do, and we do this. And anyway, long and short, in the end, he, I said, well, we'll take that back. And actually, we as a group then did fast and pray every Friday for the rest of the time we were there. But then he turned to me and he said, oh, brother, you have misunderstood me. That is not the spiritual exercise that makes us holier makes us grow. He said, you didn't understand. I didn't say we were praying for us in Moldova. What I meant to tell you is we were every Friday fasting and praying for you in the West. And then he said something I never forgot. He'd never been to the West, but he said every report I've ever heard, he said, it's very easy to be a Christian here. Either you are or you're not. No one would ever take the risk. It's very clear you are or you're not. But he said, if I understand the West correctly, there is no clarity like that there. Everything is a shade of gray. 
and therefore you must make this choice, and tomorrow you must make this choice. And he said, that is why we pray for you. I thought he had great insight. It's a help to me. But look what John is saying here. Little children, don't be deceived. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. As he is righteous. In other words, if God is in you, if God is dwelling there, and you know that the living spirit of God is there, you're different. Not different necessarily in the way you comb your hair. For those of us who have very little, how I part the one hair carefully. No, no, it's not that. It's not a series of rules and regulations. Too often church has gone to that. But it's the depth of the heart and soul and character. We're the prairie person and we reflect that we belong to the household of God. And so he goes on and he says that. He says, so if someone has God in him, they're not going to keep on sinning. Let me just say to you today, if you have a sin habit, something that you know is not what God would have you do. You must expect within your life as a Christian that God's Holy Spirit is going to speak directly to that. Is God is not going to be satisfied to allow that to perpetuate itself and just continue on and on and on. Why? Because God is in us. And then he goes on, he says, children, you know this, that the righteous will be righteous, or they will do righteous. And then he goes on, and whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Wow, that's a harsh word, isn't it? For the devil has been sinning since the beginning. He's the one who tries to convince us, like he tried to convince or did convince Eve, oh, did God say? It's not really that bad, you know. It's not really that wicked. It really doesn't take us away. Nathan was in his children's sermon was talking about the idea of saying one thing and doing another. The habit of lying. Or the habit of maybe not of, of whatever. And here he's saying if you do that, you see what happens is, is John now is becoming very clear. It's like he's putting a spotlight from heaven onto our soul. And what he is saying is, if you light up your soul, your soul is that you do what you really believe. This is like a moment when no one else is watching. It's just you and yourself, me and I and all the we three are sitting there watching what we do. And when no one else is watching, what do I do? And he said, the truth is, we do exactly what is in our heart. You know, as parents or grandparents, you do not need to tell grandchildren or children what you believe in the depth of your heart. They have seen it displayed in your words, in your deeds, and attitudes of life. And so John is bringing this very home, and he says, the reality is there's either this or there is this. Either we, a person is of God and God is in them or not. And then he goes on even further to that. Look what verse 8 says. Verse 5, it said, the reason Jesus came was not only to reveal God with, for us, but was to deal with our sin, to take it away. How did he take it away? He took it upon himself. 
But in verse 8, it goes even further. He says, and we know the Son of God, not just that Jesus the Christ, the very person of God in the Son, came not just to take it away, to destroy it. I mean, God's attitude towards sin is not let's just sweep it under the rug. Now, be very careful here. Because God loves everyone. And God is reaching out to everyone. But that is the very reason we need a Savior. The very reason we need to have Jesus has come. Is to deal with this. And he says, as he is in us, then he is not only here to take it away, to very much destroy the works of evil. And then he goes on even further. In the next final verses, he says, no one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now I just want to bring back again 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If you say you've not sinned, you're a liar. So he's coming to this. I would not that you sin, but if you do. So he's not talking about that individual moment when something overwhelms you or you somehow... But then there's a response to that. It's confess, repent, be cleansed. But he says, if we look in our heart, and there is this pattern, and it has never been addressed, and it goes on year after year after year after year, there may be a relationship, there may be a broken thing, there may be something we simply refuse to deal with. We put a no trespassing sign on our heart, and we ask, and that we, whatever that might be, Look what he says. If someone is born of God and makes a practice of sinning, he said, for God's seed abides in him. It's as if God has planted the very seed of God in us. And it grows and develops. And then he's going to go on and he's going to say, and those who practice sin are from their father evil. And those who practice righteousness are from God. And he says, it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Boy, this is a strong language, isn't it? The reason I think it's so strong is because, well, in 2022, you see what John has written to us, we must have a strong understanding of the truth that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one who's come. And he said anyone else is an antichrist teaching anything else. There's one way for salvation. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But then John says, in our societies, his society and our society today, we sometimes particularly lack a clarity about what is sin and what is it not. And what he's coming and saying is when this practice of sinning is prevalent in our lives, We need to stop for a moment and look deep. Has God done a work? And if he has, we need to expect the Spirit of God to be working in our life and changing us. And this is exactly what he does. Now, if you take a look in your heart today, and it's troublesome, and probably most of us could find some weary moments there, 
But the greatness is, God says, if we confess, he's faithful and just to cleanse and to remove all of that. It's the way Jesus tells the parables about the kingdom of God in in Matthew chapter 13. He sets all the people down on the hillside and he turns to them and he says to them, the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. To be a child of God, it's like this. And he says it's like a sower who goes out to sow. And the word, and then he explains that to them, his disciples later, and he says, that's where the Spirit of God sows the Word of God in your heart. And the heart, it'll take root and start to grow. Sometimes a heart has rocks in it, and you've got to pick rocks. For any of those of you who have an agricultural background, you know that rocks just keep coming. And then he says, some have thorns and thistles, and any of you who love a garden realize they just keep coming. You've got to pick rock, you've got to pull thistles. And then he goes on and says, but it's not just that God that sows, but evil sows. And sometimes you'll find things in your life, you'll wonder how in the world did that get there? And then he goes on and he says, but also the kingdom of God is not only like that. He says, but the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, incredibly small. Or it's like a bit of, of, of yeast or leaven. But he says, you put it in, And the mustard seed grows till it's the biggest tree and birds come and sit in it. Or the leaven or the yeast gets into the flour and it permeates every aspect of it until it's all been affected. Oh, he's describing the kingdom and the work of God. God starts almost as if it's small. Almost sometimes we see there's almost no change from the moment before to the moment after. We know it's been a new creation. We know it's forgiveness, but there's no change. But when God is saying in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it's like permeates. We must expect that God eventually will permeate every aspect of our life. And then he tells two more. He says it's like a pearl of great price. Or it's like a treasure in a field. And the, the apply, application is both, is similar in both. One, he says, and he takes everything he has and he sells it to buy the pearl. He takes everything he has and he sells it to buy the treasure. The principle is, at this moment, if you have within life those habits, those patterns, it comes to a choice. Do you sell what you have to buy what God will give? And that's difficult because we know what we have. But this is by faith of what God will give. And of course he concludes that by saying, at one time there will be a net and all will be gathered and give account for the lives we have lived. The kingdom of God. May God's power and his presence be with us today as we consider these verses. Let's pray. Thank you again, Lord, for these truths that John has written to us. And Lord, in one sense, they are heart-searching ones. And we might get to the place where we begin to wonder, well, how is it even possible? But Lord, we remember those truths he said for the one who abides in Christ. Then Lord, that very power that comes into us, the very life of God will live in and through us. And we will see you change and we will see you work. 
And that Jesus came not just to take and deal with our sins and carry it away. He came to destroy the works of evil. And I pray, Lord, we would just see those truths being worked out in our lives. We thank you. We worship you. And Lord, we belong to you. We're your children. And so may the family likeness, us being like you, be visible in our lives today. Ask your blessing upon each one who's here in Jesus' name. Amen.